1: Hello,
2: welcome to another episode of History Hack. We are on a World War II kick today, so you know that I am happy. Alex, who have we got on today?
0: We have another Alex with us today. We have Alex Tehouse, uh, who is a Dutch historian, and he's here today to talk to us about Dutch collaboration in World War II. Alex, hey. Hello. How is lockdown? How is corona? Are you just glad it's nearly over, hopefully? Uh.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Yeah, well, I do live, uh, live in the most remote part of the Netherlands, so I don't really uh, have any trouble here. But
0: You've just been watching it all on TV?
1: Yeah, pretty much, yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm kind of jealous.
0: Yeah, just completely out of the corona bubble. I love it. Um, let's just get stuck straight in. So first of all, if you could, tell us a bit about pre-war Netherlands and society before the Germans come along.
1: Uh, yes, because it's uh, it's a quite an important topic uh, in that regard because uh, the Dutch uh, society pre-war is uh, rather uh, pillarized, as we call it. It's uh, bad translations, but uh, you have to see it like uh, the pillars of a temple. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dutch society has uh, at least four uh, huge pillars pre-war, mostly uh, started around the 1900s. And uh, these pillars are like... Uh, uh, social demographics uh, for the Netherlands and these are uh, Protestant, Catholic, social democratic and liberal. So all these uh, pillars uh, have their own uh, people and everyone in the Netherlands uh, is in one of these pillars and uh, pretty much has some contact out of these pillars.
0: And then another pillar comes along.
1: Uh, yes, uh, fascism or uh, in this case uh, for the Dutch uh, uh, fascisme, uh, but uh, yeah and this pillar uh, has a uh, like a really hard time to get uh get a foothold because everyone is uh, so pillarized that they don't see any opportunities because uh fascism has a lot of uh, common ground with social democratic but social democratic uh has already has its own pillar uh they take a bit away from the dutch liberals because dutch liberal uh, liberalism in the 1900s is like uh a little bit more right wing than uh today mm mm-hmm. uh, But pretty much the Protestant and the Catholic uh, pillars uh, are still staying in these pillars. And like like I said, everyone uh, lives in these pillars. So you have a Catholic uh, baker, a Catholic butcher, uh, a Catholic school, and you don't have contact with people outside of that. I always like to say like um, the uh, fascism really has a uh, hard time uh, getting on the ground because everyone has these pillars and uh, yeah, there is always uh, some sort of of uh, fascism already in in the other pillars, like uh, they have a common ground at times.
0: Yeah, it's very hard to get people to move then their allegiance and
1: for it to take root. Yeah, it's not only family, but uh, especially in the Christian uh, pillars, it's also the church. And uh, back then, everyone went to church, (laughs) not like today, but... (laughs) Of for most people but everyone uh, was uh, there was a lot of social control so uh if you went uh, you were a day not in the church uh, they would ask you like where were you rest- yesterday were you in church or not
2: oh wow <laughs> it sounds like poland right now
1: yeah, yeah yeah pretty much it's still here though it's it's we have a bible belt but uh, <laughs> that's not a topic
2: <laughs> so then war comes to the netherlands because war doesn't start there in 1939 does it it starts in 1940
1: uh, yes, for the Netherlands, uh, pretty much, yes. Uh, but uh, 1939 is, of course, a, uh, also for the Netherlands an important year because, uh, of course, the uh, major powers in Europe start fighting. And uh, especially for the Netherlands, it's, it's like they want to stay neutral again, like they did in the First World War. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone in the Netherlands supports that, even the fascists. So uh, even though pre-war, they uh, are like orientated on Germany or on, uh, mostly on Italy, uh, they say like it's better to stay neutral and uh, well. And how do we keep neutral? What? by doing nothing and no- offend no one. So you have a, a small group that uh, cheers, uh, of course, cheers the German annexations of uh, Poland and uh, the attacks uh, uh, and this, uh, those attacks. But uh, that's a really even a minority in, within those uh, groups that uh, are pro-war. Uh, but yes, uh, it, in, uh, for the Dutch, it started in 1940. Uh, the Dutch army is, of course, no uh, real opponent for the for the Germans. Uh, five days—it's uh, <laughs> a bit of a bad record—but uh <laughs> they, uh, yeah, they put up a fight and uh, actually put up uh, quite a good fight uh, for those five days. But uh, yeah, they lose the war, and uh, within uh, on the sixth day, the Germans have already taken over the country. Uh, the queen has fled uh, with most of the government. So you have a country without a real uh, leadership, and that's like the outbreak uh, with the outbreak of war is like where the uh, uh, Dutch uh, fascism gets a uh, like a huge push because they can choose, like uh, because the, the general leadership is, is away. Yeah. Uh, they, there is a chance, uh, there is a, a hole to be filled, and that's where the Dutch fascism comes along because, uh, of course, not the communists because the Germans take over. Uh, with them, the Nazis, and uh, yeah, uh, there's their opportunity to uh, become important and break the pillars.
0: So tell us about the Rijkscommissariat Niederlande. Yeah,
1: um, the Reichskommissariat uh, Niederlande uh, is mostly, uh, is the civil government or the, uh, like the large uh, occupation of the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And uh, most important here uh, within this uh, uh, Commissarat or whatever you want to call it, this government uh, is uh, is that it is a civil government and not a, a military like uh, that is being put up for France, uh, for Belgium, or for uh, Poland. Uh, it's it's all, all all about the civil government here. Uh, of course, the German army is still here. Uh, they will build airplanes, uh, naval bases, uh, Atlantic Wall, but most importantly, uh, they say. Uh, the dutch uh, as a people are a so called uh, brudervolk or the brothers of uh, germans uh, we share the same history uh, that goes back to like the holy roman empire when the large part of the netherlands was part of the holy roman empire and the germans say like we are uh, brothers and the dutch at first have something like well that might be nice but i don't buy anything for that and um but uh, the Germans uh, still take, o- of course, still take over, and uh, they install a civil government. Um, and they actually play that really smart because uh, instead of offending all the Dutch uh, people with uh, putting in uh, a Nazi in every town or God knows where, uh, they take it over like a on a really smooth uh, way. They uh, install uh, Reichkommissar uh, Seis inquart and Seis-Inquart is like the. Um, the highest Nazi in the Netherlands, and he, um, when he takes over, uh, he says, okay, I'm now the, like, uh, I have, I am the new prime minister, uh, in a way, and, um, but every one of the Dutch civil servants stay in their position, even in the key positions, they stay, and uh, a lot of these civil servants stay in that position, Uh, they choose not to uh, um, throw away their jobs, because, uh, of course, they still have an income, and And the Dutch government, before they left, they said, try to uh, maintain the Dutch, um, well, whatever you want to call it, the Dutch uh, motivation, the Dutch spirit, as much as possible. So you have a uh, a situation where the uh, Dutch government have instructed their civil servants to stay, if they can, and uh, work along with the Germans, but without uh, harming the Dutch uh, people. And the Germans... uh, they want uh, they want this as well because uh, harming the Dutch people is not in their interest because they want the Dutch to integrate in, the German, uh, in Greater Germany. And yeah, that's pretty much the Uh, uh But it must be said that uh, this, of course, uh, uh, has a few uh, difference with uh, pre-war Netherlands. Mostly, uh, you don't have any ministers left. Uh, and uh, the Germans, uh, at first, uh, they allow... Um, like, uh, local democratics, uh, lo- like local democratics, like uh, local democratic—I don't know the English word for it—but uh, you still have elections. local councils. Yeah, elections and councils. All yeah. well, the elections are scrapped, but the councils can stay. Okay. So you have uh, every town has still has town council, and you have a uh, province council, and only the national-wide parliaments are dissolved and uh, replaced by uh, civil departments. But these has always existed. Only they are now not not controlled by any. Uh, P.M.s or uh, of M.P.s is it? Mm-hmm. But they are not. Uh, there's no control anymore. It's just the Germans. And uh, on top of that, the only thing that the Germans really do is in 1941 they uh, add the uh, uh, Commissariat uh, or the, the the Department of um, Propaganda and Culture. They don't call it propaganda, but uh, they call it like. Uh,
0: like information or something yeah, people, understated yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but it, it's it's pretty much the uh the, the department for uh, propaganda and uh, culture and culture in the way of uh in the in the way of arts and uh like they they don't want uh, denigrated art so every uh every artist in the netherlands has to sign up uh, are your songs okay for the germans or your uh, is your uh, art, is it good enough for the for the Nazis? Yeah, the, which is
0: ironic because Hitler was a shit painter.
1: Yeah, it's, it's pretty <laughs> much ironic. And it's even more ironic because uh, the leaders of this department beca- are all the most shittiest painters that you can find in the world. <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's, it's a combination of like all these sh- shitty people that see an opportunity to, uh, to become big and important. Yeah and uh they they take these places, and uh, of course they are the ones that say uh Heil Hitler, hit the, the the hardest so yeah exactly, uh, but yeah, you get shitty artists uh, in in charge of a department for artists so
2: <laughs> I'm assuming Dutch culture wasn't suppressed at this point
1: no Dutch culture was not really suppressed in fact it was even um in a way in a way though uh it was even cheered on like uh, you have a uh, famous uh history, the Germans said, and um of course, there are a few uh, reservations. Like uh, they even allowed, uh, for example, they allowed uh, the gener- uh, like the generals of the the war of 1940. They allowed to make a history of this war, and the only concession they have to make is like you can um, you must scrap the word uh, the Germans and you must uh, replace it for the word uh, the enemy, so that uh, everyone will know it is the Germans, but you don't call us out. <laughs> And nice. <laughs> As if you would have
0: forgotten who invaded you.
1: Yeah, of course. But the the, the Dutch history department of the uh, army actually does this, and uh, they come up with uh, interesting uh, conclusions. But um, uh, the, in that way, uh, the Dutch still have an identity. But it's like uh, they have you have to erase the uh, anti-German part, and they cheer on the. Uh, especially in the Netherlands, there is a rather large uh, anti-English part. Mm-hmm. And they want to chair on that, and that has mostly to do with the Boer War and before. And they want uh, they want to chair on that and say that is your history. You are always uh, against England, or in this, you must you must know that in the Netherlands, England is uh, in that uh, at that time a synonym for the British uh, isles. But
0: uh uh-huh. so. Oh, You've already spoke about shitty painters. Who Obviously, you can see an opportunity to, to get more for yourself in that. But what types of collaboration are there with the Germans in the Netherlands?
1: Well, there are quite a lot. Uh, um, uh, mostly uh, uh, based on uh, after-war reports of the courts. And uh, they, they made the categories. Uh, but for short, it's like uh, economic collaboration, politics. Uh, you have, uh, like real traitors, uh, in the country. So, uh, like informants, uh, Jew hunters, uh, stuff like that. Uh, of course, military collaboration, uh, joining the Waffen-SS and they have, uh, a way of, um, like the art and media collaboration. Like you already, uh, like I already mentioned mm. and you, uh, for me. And uh, civil servant uh, collaboration, which is a, a hot topic in the Netherlands after the war, because uh, a lot of the civil servants had gotten orders for uh, to stay, and then after the war they had to pay uh, pay up for what they did. Um, but in, in this case of collaborations, the types of collaborations, you see a lot of people, and it comes to the pre-war Dutch National Socialist Party, because you have uh, serf- several parties in the Netherlands. And most importantly, uh, the, uh, in collaboration, you have the uh, NSB, the National, uh, National Socialistische Beweging, which translates as National Socialic, uh, Socialist Movement. And especially, especially the movement part here is uh, very important because they don't, they don't want to call themselves a party. So they are not a National Socialist Party because a party implies that you agree with uh, uh, like a parliamentary.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they say, we are a movement and we are against everything. And these movements uh, exist already pre-war uh, in the Dutch uh, Dutch society. A lot of uh, national socialist uh, organizations only de- uh, get a bit of bigger in the 90- late mid to late 1930s. Uh, but this NSB uh, is is like um, is like the Dutch fascist organizations, and uh, of course these are the the main uh, collaborators, and uh, they get also get a lot of. Uh, people joining them after May 1940, because these are these are uh, opportunistic people. They want to, well, uh, oh, they want to uh, have have a bit of the money and the best best of jobs. Because the Germans uh, in June 1940, the Germans already say like, uh, we only work with the NSB, like this. Yeah. Is the, this is the only party we are going to work with because this is the only party that pre-war really existed as not as a splinter organization but as a bigger one. Uh, you must know that the rest of the Dutch uh, organizations pre war fascist organizations are no more than 5,000 people, like l- really small. And uh, the NSB is the only one pre war that has like 50,000 people at one point. Uh, then they damage themselves bec- uh, by becoming extremists. But uh, in 1940, again, they uh, grow to 100,000 people. So you have around 100,000 people collaborating in that party. But that can still mean that uh, you stay. Um, if If your pre-war job was working at a railway station, you still uh, work at that realness, a railway station, but you can get, you cannot get the promotion because well, someone else is still working there. But a lot of people join this organization like we want uh, better jobs and the Germans say, "We agree with you, and we will give you better jobs, but um, these jobs can only be on lower and mid level management. so you can be a major of a town uh, you can be a even a governor of uh, of a province. But that's about the highest you get. You you won't get up more in the the order of the Germans. And they do that because uh, they know that uh, these NSB people are not uh, the smartest ones around. Uh, Well, they have uh, some exceptional smart people, but uh, most of them are only there for the jobs. Yeah. So what they do is um, the Germans protect the civil servants that are already in the in the highest job of the departments, even the Dutch ones, and they might be pre-war uh, socialist or liberal uh, people. They protect them because they have uh, these people actually know what they do. So the Germans said we rather have people that know what they're doing than uh, a opportunist that only is there for the money or uh, his political beliefs. Mm. So that's the like the the. Political, uh, political, and economic uh, collaboration. You of course have economical collaboration with, um, like factories selling. Uh, well, you have the, the pre-war uh, Dutch uh, Philips is, is, is an uh, example for that. Uh, still uh, known in the world for making TVs and stuff, uh, and the disc man and what else. Um, but uh, this in, in the uh, war years, they are pre-war, they make uh, lamps. Yeah, and uh, the Germans, of course. Uh, the, the factory is still there and they want to use it. Uh, of course, they can just uh, take it if they want and uh, put in forced labor, but they don't want to do that. So they go to the uh, directors and uh, those who haven't fled because some of the bigger directors uh, are, the higher, uh, are the ones higher up fled. But they go to them and they ask, like, uh, do you want to produce for Germany? And most of them simply say, yes, we want to produce for you. Uh, So in that way, uh, 1940, 1941 is is one of the biggest economic growth years for the Netherlands, because everyone is like, oh, the Germans pay, they pay good, Mm -hmm. and we can work for them. And then you have economical, uh, that's the economical collaboration. And that's a really hard type. Like uh, if you sell a fish to a German soldier, are you a a collaborator or just a, a fisher that sells the fish? Yeah. So that's, it's a bit hard, but uh, of course there's at one point if you're going uh, to build bunkers for the Germans <laughs> out of free will, uh, it's, it's, then you are collaborating. Uh, it's fine and,
0: lines, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it's a fine line. And it's really hard, like at one point, if you are uh, because you can have started uh, out of free will because they paid good money. Uh, but you see that after the war, a lot of them say, like, I wanted to protect my employees. They otherwise have to do uh, forced labor in Germany. So I want to protect them, but they become so rich of it that it's it's a bit hard to, uh, it's a contradiction. Like you, you get so rich of, of these Germans and then after the war you said, yeah, I did the best for my people, but I became filthy rich by uh, working for the German uh, military.
2: It's uh, not so black and white really, is it?
1: No it's really not black and white and yeah that's the main problem uh, that's my main critique of the dutch uh, history writing but uh we have a tradition of uh painting every everybody either black or white like you are wrong or you have you have you have made a mistake in war you are wrong and uh but maybe you are in in the gray area where you, whereas you uh well you profited from the from the work but also uh protected your uh, workers so a bit are harsh, but it's a bit uh, of a fine line, and uh sometimes the uh, uh the the judgments in the books are li- later rather harsh on some person that doesn't deserve it or rather mild on people that really had deserved a harsher treatment so
0: let's talk about something that is really hard to get your head around Gordon lena i knew,
2: I know you'd leave this one for me so yeah let talk, let's talk about um let's talk about the holocaust first of all. Um, how was it viewed in, in the Netherlands? Because there was 60,000 Jews that were deported to Auschwitz alone, and the majority of them were exterminated.
1: Uh, yes, the, the Holocaust in the Netherlands is still a, it's a bit of a, uh, a topic that the, the Dutch people don't really like to speak about. Uh, because, like you said, a lot of people went to Auschwitz, also to other camps. Uh, pre-war, there were around 140,000 uh, Jewish people in the Netherlands with around uh, 107,000 were deported. So that's an extremely large amount. Uh, with of those 107,000, I think around 5,000 came back alive. So most of them died. Um, and in um, the, the, that way, the Holocaust in the Netherlands, the, of course, the Dutch view itself was, uh, at first, no one believed it. Um, it's, it's a bit of, At one point, it became a bit of a lame excuse because later in the war, of course, they knew that no one came back. But at uh, the starting of the war, no one uh, believed that uh, the Germans would do s- such a thing. Even the uh, Dutch National Socialist uh, uh, politicians didn't believe it. They said no one is that, yeah, well, retarded, whatever you want to call it, but no one is uh, going to uh, exterminate the Jews. Of, of course, you can blame them for uh, all your problems if you want as a politician. Mm. But uh, No one is going to, ex- uh, to kill them or to put them uh, in labor camps or even... Um, destruction camps, and uh, the Dutch people uh, looked uh, upon this from out of pillars, because even the Jewish people were a pillar alone, uh, but a rather small pillar, so a lot of uh, Dutch people didn't have contact with any Jews, and um, because most Jews live in uh, Amsterdam, around, uh, I believe around 57 to 80% of the Dutch Jews lived already in Amsterdam. It was for the Germans really uh, easy to round them up and put them apart from uh, from out of the uh, visible area for the Netherlands uh, for the Dutch people. Mm-hmm. So uh, Dutch people at first really didn't understand like what was happening. They they okay they, they put the Jews in in, uh, in a in a in a uh, apart area. Uh, okay, no problem. Uh, we also live also in their in our own areas. We live in a Catholic area. We live in a Protestant area, and the Germans just want to build on that, but with a sort of restriction. Uh, but then became, uh, then you came around 1941 and the uh, Dutch uh, socialists uh, of national socialist uh, movement starts uh, to um, like bully uh, the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. So you get, uh, you get like fight, fighting units. Uh, they go into a uh, a certain block. Uh, they, they try to beat up a few Jewish people. Uh, they deliberately, uh, they choose to, uh, uh, fight with young people because, you know, if they're going, going to uh, kill or uh, uh, beat up old people, you will get the public against you. So these, uh, these uh, little Nazis, they try to beat up younger people. Um, this works uh, not really well because I think after the third or maybe fourth fight, they get beaten up by the Jews. And um, so uh, these uh, little Nazis, they go back to their headquarters and they say, okay, we get beaten up by the Jews. Uh, it's not really worth it. Then, of course, the uh, Dutch Nazis uh, have a bit of a trouble because uh, uh, in the Dutch Nazi uh, party there is a bit of a uh, different view on Jews. Like the one half of the party says uh, we've, uh, we've got to follow the Germans on the view, uh, with the views on the Jews. Uh, but you also have a lot of, um, well, really Dutch National, Socialist, uh, National Socialists that say National Socialism is something that can exist next to the Jewish people. So it's it's not really a problem and pre-war a lot of, well, not a lot, but there are quite a few uh, Jewish people that are uh, a member of the Dutch National Socialist Party. So, uh, and they say like, we have to protect these former uh, members because of course they are former members. They had to uh, be pushed out by the Germans, but uh, yeah, they are a bit conflicted uh, internally. Um, but mostly, it's it's like most Dutch people are rather indifferent to what happens to the Jews, uh, mainly because they don't have contact. They don't they don't know any one of them. So that's that's a bit harsh for them. But they uh, in the end, of, or in the end, in, in February 1941, uh, the Germans do a small uh, Russia. I'm not sure if that's an int- international term, but it's pretty much they uh, pick up every Jew in a certain area mm-hmm. and put them on uh, well. Uh, put them to a camp and uh, or uh, move them away. Uh, and when this happens, uh, Dutch communists uh, take advantage of the uh, the outbreak of of, of civil unrest uh, under Dutch people because a lot of Dutch people see this happening. They see that all the Jews are forced together on a uh, uh, certain square and then they have uh, they are escorted by uh, German troops and they see that this is not only uh, like younger men that have uh, been into fights with the uh, Dutch Nazis. No, it's also uh, uh, fathers and mothers and children. So uh, then you get a uh, general strike in the, uh, in the West part of the Netherlands. And the general strike uh, started in Amsterdam then, of course. And uh, But people started to strike against the Germans. They say, we don't work anymore. We will, we put down our work. Uh, we are one with the Jewish people. And this is, of course, a reaction that the, that the Germans didn't expect to happen. Mm. And they pretty much blame the Dutch Nazis for it like uh, that they have steered up the wrong uh wrong people and pretty much it is true to a extent but uh it's in the end it's, it is a german Russia. though so. uh but it, it's yeah you can see that the Dutch Nazis still are conflicted like uh, they are conflicted in a way like what do we want uh, who do we want uh, to protect but also who we, do we want to see uh move to a camp And uh, like the Young Guard, they want to fight with the Jews. They say the Jews are the problems of everything in Europe. Um, And uh, you have a group that say, no, uh, the Jewish people are uh, just here, a part of the Netherlands, and um, it's mainly uh, national socialism is about other things, not about uh, problems with the Jewish community.
0: So you've mentioned the amount of collaboration in the Netherlands but there's still not everybody is on the same page there's different directions and there's infighting in the NSB isn't there?
1: Uh, yeah pretty much uh, and this infighting is like a really uh, uh, at first it, it, it started already in the, the late 1930s like uh, one group wanted to follow Itali- uh, Italian fascism uh, with Mussolini and the other group wanted to follow Hitler um, this conflict can pretty much be uh, ignored uh, until 1940 because everyone uh, says, "Well, we are Dutch people, so we have Dutch problems and Dutch uh, politics to uh, uh, to focus on." Uh, but then, 1914 of, of 1940, of course, uh, and um, uh, when the uh, when actually the Nazis come uh, in the government, they get a problem. Like, uh, of course, the NSB is uh, the main Dutch political party that is still there. Um, but they um, uh, they are like an instrument for the ju- for the Nazis and they know it them des- themselves. They, they pretty much are aware that they are just an instrument. Mm. And then you, of course, have... Uh, but even though you are an instrument, uh, a lot of people want to make promotions, uh, want to be the leader of this instrument. So you have uh, Anton Mussert. Uh, it's the main leader of the Dutch NSB. And he has been leader since 1932, I believe. Mm. He's, he's actually, he started the party and... Uh, He's still there, and uh, but Mussert is more of uh, a—he's described as more as a project leader than a national leader. He can he can manage a project. He was an engineer before the war, and uh, that's that's his job. He can manage one project, and after that, uh, it's done. And he's not a leader. And then you have Ross von Tonningen, Uh, and this man um, is a uh, is a much more uh, extreme uh, Nazi. He he says Hitler is right on everything. And we have to become one with Germany. And of course, y- you can uh, see that the Germans uh, like this, this style of talking way more. They say, Ross von Tonningen, you are our man. Yeah. But the trouble is, within the NSB, Merced has more support. So the group of Ross von Tonningen is a smaller group, uh, and uh, Merced's group is bigger, but uh, they don't speak the language that the Germans want. So uh, you can see, uh, at one point, you get a lot of infighting, and this infighting, it uh, becomes even so big that they have a so-called uh, uh, mist, uh, *Misthorn* uh, affair, or the it's like the uh, yeah, the, the, the *Misthorn* incident. Mm. And the *Misthorn* is a uh, a really small um, yeah paper. It's it's like a weekly a weekly paper, and it's it's extremely anti-Semitic and uh, rude towards everyone. It's it's just it's it's Nazism on steroids.
0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: It's, it's, it's all bullshit and everyone knows it, but it still yeah. gets published and it gets uh, funded by the Germans. And even the Germans think it at times that it's too much, but okay, it, it, is, it is there. It serves maybe, their purpose. Yeah, it serves their purpose and maybe someone will believe it. So uh, this uh, the leader of the Misthorn Horn. Um, he writes and he writes. Uh, he writes at one point. He starts to attack uh, Musert because he thinks if I support Ross von Tonningen, I can get a promotion again, and my paper will get a uh, well force daily on everyone in Netherlands. Something uh, something around that. But he thinks I can grow off this. So he starts to attack Musert, and uh, Musert uh, of course does not like this attack. And mu- but Musert starts to fight back. Uh, and this fighting back is done uh, not at first at in in the uh, for the general public. It's the first time that the general public in the Netherlands sees that there is infighting in the uh, National Socialists, because Mussert starts to uh, publish as well in papers like, uh, "Well, these people are uh, not to believe. believed. Uh, they are um, they are not fighting for the just cause. They want to destroy uh, the Netherlands. They want to join Germany. They are actually Germans." Uh, and, um, but even the Germans get divided on that. You have uh, Seitz Inquart, who, um, who supports Ros- uh, he supports Ross von Tonningen's view and uh, the Mistorn's view. But he has the trouble that, like uh, Seitz Inkwart, is aware that Mussert has the uh, uh, well, not the, the Dutch people behind him, but most of the Dutch National Socialism, uh, Socialists are behind Mussert. So he knows pretty much. He's aware that uh, if he choose one camp, it will pretty much uh, make upset the other one. And you get more fighting um but this, uh, and he tries to uh to shush everyone like uh, shut up and uh, yeah. shut up. Uh, but it escalates like it escalates so hard that um uh, party members are breaking in uh into rooms of other party members and uh they steal uh the news from someone 's wife and they publish them and it's it, it, it sucks a public outrage uh within the within well not not the entire Dutch people but in within the area that is uh <laughs> associated with national socialism. And uh, and at one point, they even start to uh, make death threats to each other. And this uh, Ross von Tonningen is smart enough to keep out of this, but everyone knows it's his people that are doing this. Hmm. Uh, and the situation gets so tense that at one point, the Germans are like, okay, we have to stop this now before uh, they're going to start to kill each other and Oh, well, that of course is not a good uh, a good image for the Nazis. So uh, they sent away uh, the editor of the uh, Missorn paper to the to the Eastern Front. It's actually safer for him to fight against uh, under- <laughs> the Soviet, under- <laughs> Soviet front than to stay in the Netherlands. Wow! Uh, and that says a lot of things about it about this tension that is in between these groups. They are uh, they are uh, at a point that they are ready to murder each other for political gains. Uh, f- of course, for the greater good, they uh, still uh, show up together, uh, this Ross van Toningen and Mussert. But uh, it's pretty much that like this number one and the number two of the party are against each other. Uh, so they try to outfight each other and Rost van Toningen uh, does that with uh, trying to uh, have most Nazis join the uh, Waffen-SS and uh, Mussert tries to do that with uh, winning the public. Let's, um, I think we
2: should talk about something you've mentioned earlier. Which is uh, the Dutch Waffen SS, which you also
1: said there was a bit of a sore point. Ah yes, yeah, it's it is because um, the Dutch Waffen SS is of course a um, an infamous group um, because no one uh, would be really proud at this moment to say like this is my family and they yeah. this. <laughs> but um, the Dutch Waffen SS is in uh, is in with within the foreign SS uh, units uh, out of Germany is a rather interesting one. Because they deliver, like uh, 20,000 people are joining up for the waffen SS, and both in relative as in uh, absolute numbers, this is the most of Europe. Um, and these are going out of all these people are there out of their free will, and of uh, of course this uh, starts uh, the Germans. Uh, they want they want of course more troops because for the invasion of Russia they want uh, foreign troops. Um, but that's more general as uh, SS history. But the Dutch SS uh, starts because a uh, certain uh, Anton of a, a certain uh, Meyer, uh, Arnold Meyer. Uh, he's a, a member of of the Black Front, uh, another uh, splinter party of uh, Dutch uh, Dutch Nazis. And uh, but this uh, Meyer is like he's a bit wicked. He's uh, he has a strange idea that uh, capitalism and Marxism is the same thing uh, made made by the Jews. And he said, we have to do everything to beat them. Uh, at the same time, he writes a letter to Hitler uh, saying, Hit, uh, dear Mr. Hitler, don't go uh, that harsh on the Jews. Uh, it's not their fault. So he has... Uh, he's just... He's mad. And um, <laughs> But he at one point gets the idea like, if I want to be uh, within the... Um, within my, uh, If I want more money from the Germans and more uh, connections, I have to do something good. So what does he do? He says... I'm making a Dutch Legion and the Germans are not really uh, keen on that because uh, Matt as Mr. Meyer is, uh, he decided they have to fight uh, under the Dutch flag and if it could, they could uh, swear uh, alliance to the Dutch Queen who is of course in England, so that's a bit harsh. Is this, but, sorry,
0: just for p- personal interest, is that still Wilhelmina, the same queen as World War One? Yeah, yes, okay, yeah,
1: cool. Cool. it's the same queen. She uh she abdicated in, I think, 48. So she's okay. like for the first half of the 20th century, she's there. Uh, but uh, he, uh, of course, the Germans are against this idea of uh, swearing uh, to, uh, towards the queen. Or well, that you can swear at the queen, but uh, <laughs> not uh, alliance to the queen. Um, but they say, okay, but the idea is good. We we want the Dutch Legion as well. So what they do is like we take your idea, Mr. Meyer, but we will <laughs> make it our own. So uh, this Arnold Meyer is just uh, swept away under the carpet somewhere. Uh, they leave him there, and uh, but they say we have a uh, we want to have Waffen SS uh, troops, and we say we make they, they say we make a regiment out of it at first. And uh, you, everyone can join up for the coming invasion in, uh, in Russia. And actually, they, they, they get a lot of volunteers about one regiment, actually what they wanted. And they call this regiment Westland, and they put it in the uh, Viking division. Um, but these are all um, really convinced Nazis. Yeah. When the war in Russia starts, they want to do it again. But this time it's Musert who has the... Uh, The absolutely uh, well, uh, it depends what you want to call it, worse or good. But he has the uh, Musut has the idea like I can do this trick again. I make a legion, but this time I put them on the Dutch flag. But I won't uh, swear alliance to the Queen, but swear (laughs) alliance to Hitler. But uh, we will uh, make another legion, and so they create a second uh, Waffen SS unit, the uh, Legion Nederland, and uh, it's basically the the Dutch Legion, and uh, the Germans are like. Okay, you started the Second Legion. So now I'll fill it up. Uh and then come then comes the huge problem, they don't have enough volunteers. So uh they press one of their own uh um like uh, brown shirts, uh, units into mm-hmm. the uh into this unit. Um but the Legion and the Netl- uh Legion ne- uh, this Legion Netherlands is like a uh is way different than the first unit. These are not convinced Nazis. These are all uh well, around 30% of them is is only 30% of them is part of the Nazi Party. So the rest. So of they're them...
0: the ones that were the ardent Nazis that did join, and everybody else is the the ones that have kind of been pushed into it.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, uh, They even go around like prisons. Like, do you want to join up? Do you want to uh, skip a sentence?
0: We'll we'll let you out if you join. Yeah.
1: Oh, nice. So you get a lot of, uh, you get a really mixed unit with like around 30% of them uh, really uh, believing the the stuff that everyone uh, tells them around. Like you are the greatest people, you are fighting against, uh, against communism, and this is your duty. Uh, and you have like around 70 percent that that is there. Like, uh, well, this is a nice adventure, or uh, well, this this will get my center uh, such yeah. uh, short. So, uh, and if that isn't enough, they start a third unit, the uh, SS Landstorm, which is only to be on domestic uh, soil. So they can only be uh, operate on Dutch soil.
0: Because they're really not into it, are they?
1: Uh, no, this is like, this is the absolute, yeah, it's not the band of losers, but
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's just the guys with the wonky eyesight and the, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's like the, the, the ones that get shot up in Russia are uh, coming back to the Netherlands. So you want a job? Yeah, I don't have any arms. Not, never mind. Here's the uniform and uh, parade. Excellent. Um, and But this is, uh, of course, this uh, Landstorm unit is uh, reinforced by uh, um, remote living Nazi, fa- well, not not necessarily Nazi farmers, but farmers that uh, joined the Nazi party. Mm. Uh, and uh, because of their uh, remote living, uh, they are uh, allowed to have a gun to protect themselves against resistance. But you get a third unit that operates in the Netherlands, and especially this Landstorm unit uh, becomes uh, really infamous for uh, assisting the it it just became it becomes a, uh, a tool of the german uh, nazi police uh, police so they whatever they wanted to call them uh, you want to you want to uh, uh cut out uh, a part of a uh, city and uh take all the Jews, they will do it for you wow um, they're just the henchmen of the of the of the germans and even the germans are like astonished at one point like why are these people so absolutely <laughs> loyal to us uh even though it's a sh- it's the shittiest unit you've ever seen uh, but they still they still do it, and they believe himself uh, to be superior to anyone else. But uh, every time they really get into a conflict, it's <laughs> it's not their best one. But uh, oh. as long as this goes around like uh, unarmed civilians, it's they're doing okay.
0: Oh dear! Cus two September 1944, and tell us what that was like for the Dutch people.
1: Yeah, September 1944 is um, well. Of course, you have uh, Market Garden. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's like, uh, it, it's at that time everyone in the Netherlands believe uh, liberation is upon them. Uh, D-Day has, uh, has been around two months. And um, uh, France is liberated. And lots, lots of Belgium is liberated. And you have on 4th September or five September, I don't really uh, recall the exact date. But uh, Antwerpen is liberated. And uh, it's five September 1944. Uh, in the Netherlands it's called Dolle Dinsdag. It translates something as Med Tuesday. And everyone in the Netherlands uh, has a feeling the Allies are coming. Mm-hmm. It. And uh, people are, uh, as far as like uh, as Arnhem or amsterdam have saying, are saying like, uh, well, uh, thirty uh, kilometers uh, further, they have seen uh, they have seen the British tanks. Uh, they have seen Americans, and everyone is just absolutely cheerful. Um, but it also means like uh, this is the Dutch Nazis realize this is probably the day that they're gonna butcher us. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do they do? They fled. But the German army is also in a mad retreat. So uh, they can't reorganize really anything. So everyone is, is like everyone for for themselves. So you see a massive dissolvement of uh, civil structure because all these uh, uh, local uh, Nazi majors are jumping on, on onto the first German truck they can find and say, give me a lift towards Germany. So the entire uh, st- Nazi structure of the, du- of the Dutch, well, the Dutch Nazi state, whatever you want to call it, uh, it collapsed because no one has any power over what what's happening and everyone is just fleeing, fleeing, more fleeing, and uh, no one is paying attention, like, where are the allies exactly because a day later, everybody realized that the allies are still in Antwerp, so <laughs> they uh, they missed the boat. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and then you come in a situation where... Uh, Especially for the Germans, they have a bit of a problem because, um, well, the German army can, of course, um, reorganize uh, around uh, well, just behind uh, Arnhem and after Market Garden. The front line is clear that it's part of the Netherlands is uh, liberated, and part of uh, the the rest of the Netherlands is still uh, under ocupa- occupation. Uh, and this is a um, this is a weird situation where you get like uh, half of the country uh, has their freedom back again. And the other half is still uh, under, uh, under German rule. Mm-hmm. And they have to comply with that. And um, uh, you will see that the, the, Dutch, uh, the Dutch government is also a bit uh, in between because, of course, they, are, uh, they wanted the, the country to be liberated. But they know everything they do uh, will get uh, a German reaction because in September 1944 with Market Garden, they uh, called for a general strike on uh, Radio Orange And they say, uh, everybody in the Netherlands, go on strike. Make sure that the Germans don't get supplies. We will liberate uh, the country because if we win at Arnhem, we will will win the war. Well, everyone knows that didn't happen. But uh, the Germans are still angry about this because the Dutch people did actually went on a railway strike. So uh, they had a lot of trouble of uh, stuff coming into the country. So the Germans decided to punish the Dutch people for that uh, by... uh, yeah, forbidding forbidding every uh, train in the Netherlands to be operated and deliver food to the western part of the Netherlands, where of course most people live, so you yeah. get a uh, the so-called hunger winter in the Netherlands, uh, where no uh, where no fuel or um, anything to eat is delivered to the west. Uh, the eastern eastern northern parts have a better situation because a lot of people are the, are farmers there, so they have still have a an income in in, in terms of food and uh, fuel. Uh, but it, it means that the German uh, rule gets harsher, and it also means that the ones that are still there of these uh, collaborators are—they um, are going a bit mad. They, these collab- especially the collaborators, because the Germans know if they—if uh, uh, the if the Allies invade further, uh, they just flee to Germany. But these collaborators are like, okay, what do I have to do? My my country is even a lot of these uh, collaborators are from the southern part of the Netherlands, where the Allies already are. And they have trouble like um, uh, figuring out what to do. So, uh, what is their reaction? Uh, mostly alcohol and more violence. So, they, uh, they, yeah, especially from September to let's say uh, April, May 1945, uh, there's an uh, extreme rise in violence d- done by Dutch collaborators against the Dutch people because they, yeah, violence was the answer to everything.
2: So let's move forward. You just said May 1945, end of the war in Europe. Let's talk about the aftermath. What happened?
1: Well, indeed, as you mentioned, the end of the war in Europe. And um, uh, of course, the Netherlands still had a colonial empire, um, but that isn't really important for this. Uh, but uh, the Netherlands are uh, liberated in a way. Uh, in May 1940, they, uh, there are still some... Uh, uh, pockets of Germans that uh, resist, and uh, but eventually, on um, I believe uh, somewhere around 20th of May, uh, most of the Netherlands is li- actually liberated because the Germans fled to some islands and didn't want to surrender. But in May 1945, uh, the Netherlands is uh, they are liberated, and um, but then comes the problem like the the Dutch government wants to um, put all these people that have uh, done. Deeds against the, the government or against the country, they want to put them in jail or at least uh, put them uh, in front of a judge. But they have a problem, uh, and this problem is like a, a lot of judges stayed uh, in between the war and are now and uh, were uh, part of this German administration. So uh, you have to uh, clear up your uh, judges first, which is hard enough because uh, becoming a judge takes many years. Mm. And uh, they also have like uh, who is who. They uh, the, the war has uh, dis- dislocated so many people, but also so many uh, victims that they don't even know uh, if someone is alive, where he is. Luckily for them, uh, the highest Dutch Nazis are uh, all taken prisoner. Um, so uh, Mussert and Ross von Toningen are uh, taken prisoner. Uh, Ross von uh suicides or. There is a bit of a uh, theory behind it that he is pushed uh, from a balcony, but uh, officially he suicides. Uh, But uh, Musard and uh, quite a few others of the Dutch uh, high-ranking ones uh, are actually captured alive and uh, are ready to be uh, judged. So the Dutch uh, install, in the aftermath of May 1945, they install a uh, Dutch version of the Nuremberg courts. So they say, like, uh, hey, you have to um, you have to well, pay pay for your deeds, what you have done, and uh, this they actually make a uh, they make a fair uh, fair amount of work of it to to, to have it like a real uh, judge. They, it's not uh, it's not like okay, you were a Nazi, we will shoot you. No, they yeah. say everyone has a chance, and you can defend yourself. So Mussart actually defends himself in a way that uh, the, the, the Dutch the Dutch government is like, whoa, that's <laughs> that's a uh, effective defense yeah uh, until he makes a few mistakes and of course uh it's it's pretty clearly what he has done but he uh but musert makes a pretty good case of uh, him uh, having fights with uh, hitler and this is actually true uh, hitler and musert uh well, they do not hate each other but they couldn't stand each other mm. um so musert makes a case of this like i'm not a friend of hitler and uh what i have done is all to conserve the uh, dutch state and uh, most importantly he says like uh I actually did the same as you gave the orders to your civil servants to stay on your post and conserve the Dutch uh, spirit or the Dutch state as much as possible, and that's what I did. And there comes the main problem for the for the, <laughs> for the Dutch government, like, uh, oh yeah, those civil servants that uh, work with the Germans. So uh, uh, the process for the uh, high one, the high-ranking Nazis, is rather simple. Uh, most of them are in the end. Uh, uh, get get a conviction uh, for uh, deeds against humanity these uh, against Dutch people and they are to be shot um, then um, uh, Wilhelmina actually wants to uh, Queen Wilhelmina wants to uh, Wants to uh, have her daughter on the throne and she wants to have a rest for herself But she stays on for the time being because it, it's it's a sign of, of a Dutch uh, Well of a Dutch state again that, that she is still there mm-hmm. um, And it is known that her daughter is really against uh, death penalty. So they are a bit scared that her daughter will give everyone amnesty or at least uh, a lifelong service instead of the bullet. So uh, uh, Wilhelmina uh, stays on the throne to have at least uh, the most notorious one executed. Uh, With a total of around like... It's a bit hard to tell, but around 200,000 people in the Netherlands collaborated in this in entire event on a population of around, what is it, 9 or 10 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, is, it isn't much in, in total numbers, but it's, it's still 200,000 people. And that group alone is rather big. Uh, the Dutch try really hard to put people to court uh, in front of the judges. And uh, whilst they try really hard, they still have a bit of trouble with that because uh, of course, there, uh, the police was also compromised by the Germans. The police had uh, been the police the entire war, switching from uh, Dutch service to German service and back again. So they also had to clean that. And in total, around uh, I believe uh, eighty-six uh, on a sixty, sorry, sixty-eight hundred uh, uh, Dutch people are uh, convicted uh, for their crimes against uh, against the Dutch state and uh, being a collaborator. So little a little less than uh, 7000 people. Uh, um, 7, people and of the 7000 people and it isn't much on this 200000 uh, it, it it doesn't sound much but it's actually one of the highest numbers of europe especially belgium and france are really uh, lacking behind that in terms yeah. of percentage but uh, the dutch actually try to uh, try to uh, try to put people in front of the course and from from high to alone not only the highest nazi uh, but also if you are a truck driver in the, for the Germans uh, and you went to uh, to Poland, to uh, Lithuania to, to help with, uh, with, with, well, doesn't know what, but uh, if you help the Germans, even then you are put in front of a court if they can find you and if they can prove it. Because the Dutch um, government wants to be absolutely sure that if they put someone in front of a judge, it's worth the time. They don't want anyone with uh, weird accusations just to have someone else uh, have their revenge. They want to make sure uh, the ones that in front of the judge uh, are also the ones that probably get a sentence in some way. Uh, well, in the end, it's, it means that uh, from the 7,000 people, uh, around uh, 160 people are put, uh, put up with a death sentence. And uh, half of the 7,000 are officially convicted for uh, lower collaboration crimes like uh, economic... Uh, uh, helping the enemy uh, wh- whatever that means, but because even the Dutch people are like okay we don 't know what it means, but sure enough yeah uh, but that has more to do with like uh, pre war uh, weird uh, accusations of that and uh, the the law books, and uh, a total of around thirteen hundred people uh, for traitors uh, uh, but then you get of course you get a different queen, uh, Wilhelmina. Uh, Uh, Steps away and you get uh, Juliana and so a lot of uh, sentences are uh, Diverted from death to lifelong because of these uh, 163 I'm not sure but uh, I'm pretty pretty sure that most of them are not carried out So uh, but they get a lifelong sentence with most people released in the late 50s because everyone wanted to move on and the war was behind them of course
0: Thank you so much, Alex, for coming on to give us a breakdown of what is just such an incredibly complicated situation um, for a country invaded and put under hostile rule. Um, like we were saying, Alina, it's just not black and white, is it?
1: Definitely not. No, it's, it's it's my pleasure to do this. Of course, uh, it's it's a hard in a, in a way a hard topic to to make it a smaller uh, one. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs>
0: well, you've done a great job of giving us like a brief look at it. But yeah, it's so complicated. I imagine that to go into detail on everything would be hours, wouldn't we?
2: I have so many more questions that I want to add to this, but I've had to keep my mouth shut through this. <laughs> of going, uh, but uh, but I want to add to... so yeah. That is why you've not heard much from me because I knew I'd jump in there and start throwing in more, and then this podcast would turn into a two-hour one. So apologies. <laughs> uh,
0: well, we will hook you up on Twitter with Alex's username, and then you can. Uh,
1: yeah, you can ask him yeah. Ask away.
0: <laughs> Join us tomorrow when April Putty will be with us to talk all about children in the ancient world with a specific focus on the Roman era in Egypt. It's really fascinating to look at how you go about putting together the story of childhood so far back in history. Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com. It will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus, and we would really appreciate it, as we would love to do so. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more